0: So I'm joined again by Karin, thankfully it's a Sunday, it's a lovely sunny Sunday um, and we're going to talk um, a bit more about uh, Cincinnati, a bit more about Karin's experiences in, at university in the USA um, and yeah, just essentially to add to the previous couple of sessions uh, where we're talking about these key uh, foundational elements. Uh, in creating the person who we will uh, learn about later on. Uh, so, Karin, thank you very much again uh, for taking time out of your your relaxing Sunday and day uh, to speak with me. It's, it's brilliant to hear from you.
1: I'm relaxed, yes.
0: <laughs> so, yes, um, Cincinnati. Wh- where? What year have we reached in in this particular tale?
1: Uh, I arrived in Cincinnati in '67. Um, became um, a student of German literature and uh, could, could started to uh, teach and do research and uh, had a teaching and research assistantship to be able to survive after my husband's death. Uh, I was lucky enough one year when later that they. Uh, that an instructorship opened, which uh, allowed me to live relatively securely for the next five years. Um, instructorship was the, we were the little Indians who did the service uh, jobs, and I was lucky I was given uh, literature courses to teach, uh, eight, 18th, 19th century literature courses, or uh, advanced stylistics, and next to scientific German, which I continued teaching from the beginning, and where after about a year or two, I became the section boss. We had three sections of scientific German, and I was the coordinator after about two years. Um, teaching was one uh, aspect of the life in Cincinnati, and I'd never taught before. I was surprised that I could. They just threw me in there, and I didn't sink. Of course, teaching involved a lot of preparation and library work and so on and so forth, and then that was accompanied later by uh, research for my degrees. And to get the degrees, the uh, MA and the PhD, I had to take a lot of courses myself, meaning I had to also prepare for the literature courses that I was taking and research for the uh, doctoral thesis, for which took me about three years. So all of this went on parallel with other jobs I had at the university. This went uh, along with other jobs I had in my position. It was uh, in part taking care of students. Um, Most of my students uh, knew where I lived. They had my telephone number and I had phone calls at night. I'm going to commit suicide. So I had to get first on the phone and then in my car to help uh, or somebody came and three o'clock in the morning rang the bell and said, "My wife has left me. What should I do?" So these were also things we we were involved in, and particularly probably as I, as a woman, was
0: involved in it.
1: Can
0: I just ask? Is, yeah. sound, is, is this what what we call nowadays like a students' union? Isn't did you represent the student representative No, body no
1: this was my social? job as a, as a teacher.
0: This oh really? In,
1: in, yeah. You know, in, in case of need, uh, we could always also approach our professor. I mean, the the full professors, except they did not want to deal with the undergraduates and or the uh, masters students with them that was our our job uh, as instructors because we were younger we were closer in age to them and we knew also where to get help
0: and was there a students union uh, or a faculty that dealt with uh, other things or was it simply a part of the uh, the undergraduates or the postgrads or the teaching students
1: it was a uh, part of individual departments and the teachers and the students in that department. Uh, I'm sure that campus-wide there was uh, a a service, a medical service for uh, mental and physical uh, aspects of student life or of life as such. Um, But I was talking about what I had personally experienced Mm. and, these were uh, the most dramatic things. Was the suicide uh, attempt? The others were uh, relatively normal. I also had students come in and trying to mission, uh, to uh, uh, to be missionaries because that was the time of the uh, Jesus Lives movement. The first one. And, in the end, uh, I think I had seven Bibles which had been brought in by students uh, trying to uh, bring me to into the fold of these organizations, which of course failed. Um, on top of everything else, I was a faculty advisor for an inter two interdisciplinary programs. One was uh, the general and one was the uh, specific business option. We were fighting, as I said, for students of languages and uh, so the uh, business department and the engineering department with the language departments came up with an idea of joining these two forces. And I was in charge of the business uh, program. Um, Either you studied business as a major and German as a minor or minor or vice versa, and you got a degree in either general business or international business. Um, These guys and girls went... uh, after their degree in many cases to Germany for about a year and worked and studied there, which was based also on a program we had for undergraduates, a work-study program in Germany. But I was not involved in that. Um, I talked about being the editorial assistant and assistant editor of the Lessing Yearbook for about seven years which involved a lot of um, initial work in contact with uh, those who wrote these essays. The book came out once a year. And in the end, I was in, I was in charge of the final uh, page proofs. And that was, that was detailed work. You could not think in terms of anything else, but of sitting there and, looking whether the comma was right or the full stop was in the wrong position or uh, they had switched from uh, punctuation marks uh, German style into English or whatever. It was a very, very detailed work. But um, that has also served me for the rest of my life because I've been able to help a lot of young students, a lot of friends um, with their books, with their uh, papers and so on. That has also been one string of my life. And it's it was based on the experience of the um, Lessing Yearbook.
0: And the Lessing Yearbook essentially refers to German literature, culture and thought from the 18th century. Right, the, Yeah. right. Okay.
1: And we had uh, English, American and German and Swiss, I think, and Austrian scholars who contributed. Mm. I was not involved in the selection of what what, what was uh, printed, but um, I got involved very early into the um, stylistic end of it and in the
0: proofreading. Was it competitive? Would you say that it was a competitive uh, environment for for the uh, authors of these studies to be included in the Lessing Yearbook? Uh,
1: Not really, because uh, this Lessing Yearbook had a high standard and it was sometimes hard to find people who were working scientifically, uh, academically on these subjects and were ready for printing at any one particular point in time. So it was uh, it was not competitive in that sense, but we were very 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 selective.
0: Okay, and has and does it still exist, or has it been replaced now by some other similar journal or yearbook?
1: Um, as far as I know, it has not been re- replaced. Uh, it's the the department changed uh, a couple of years after I'd left because um, languages were not. Valued that much anymore, particularly not the language departments, and uh, it was harder to keep on the staff that was there and to find the students that you needed. So a lot of things were kind of uh, con- discontinued because there was no money. But it did uh, it did survive a couple of years after I'd left. Okay, thank you. Um, All right. As far as it wasn't all work, Um, the 80 to 100 hours per week were um, mostly work, hard work. But also uh, we had a lot of receptions and parties, receptions for incoming uh, scholars who gave a talk either from America or from the continent and Everybody who came, of course, got a reception and was introduced to the faculty and the students. And again, uh, there were not too many who had the time or inclination to have 50 or 60 people from one day to the other in their home and uh, serve them something to eat and to drink and uh, give them time to get to know one another and converse and make plans for future cooperation. So I was lucky. I was uh, My apartment was big enough to hold 50 to 60 people standing. And my students uh, knew me well enough because I invited them once every semester, every class got uh, to visit me and be served German food and German drinks or wine. So they very, very happily helped me uh, prepare for such uh, receptions Uh, once I had it was my duty to uh, to uh, plan this party and they lugged in uh, food, we prepared the food, they lugged in wine, they lugged in whatever. And helped me clean up afterwards. But uh, we had three or four or five hours of uh, good discussions uh, with the incoming guest and with the, with the, our faculty members and with the students. And that was very, very important I, to me. And it made the whole thing human. It was not a cold academic uh, uh, sphere as In some German universities where I think I only saw the inside of one professor's house, nobody else. They even, I didn't see them outside of class. Um, In America, you see them, you communicate with them, you can rely on them. If you have problems with uh, a semester uh, paper, you can call them. And of course, um, not everybody is being called because people are afraid of or resentful because they don't like the people. But um, we as the little Indians, the the, uh, assistants and the instructors, um, had very close contact to our students. So that was uh, not just an experience. This was... Uh, life teaching and I'm very grateful for those years of close contact to young people to middle aged people. I had some students who were in their 50s and 60s, particularly at evening schools later when I was um, no longer in the department but uh, was the representative of the Goethe Institute in New York at the University of Cincinnati and I um, had the official title of adjunct assistant professor. They couldn't call me an assistant professor because I wasn't employed by the university, so it was adjunct. Um, and the uh, courses I was teaching then were evening courses for business people or for uh, people who wanted special attention or special courses. I even taught one course at the General Electric main office to uh, scientists and secretaries who were looking into buying a special kind of uh, nuclear plant in Germany. Um, This was a one-semester job. Uh, which was lovely, at the same time a culture shock at the end when they thanked me and gave me a present. And the present was, uh, they'd heard that I played tennis, was a very uh, mini tennis dress with, with a pair of pants for underneath. This was something that would have never happened in Germany. So... Uh, all of these things are uh, part of my dealings now. I, I do not abide by uh, rules of you don't do, you don't, you cannot do uh, anything that I think is feasible and may help and may give pleasure to some somebody, I I do. I'm not restricted by too many conventions.
0: And the people at GE, were, they, were, were there many women in the crowd or many non-white men?
1: Uh, it was all white. Uh, it was a group of 15 people, um, technicians and engineers and two secretaries. And the two secretaries were women. It was, uh, as everywhere, it was heavily uh, male-oriented. As, as was the university in, in one way or another, although it was being broken up, uh, there was a strong uh, women's rights group in the administration of, of the University of Cincinnati, and the uh, faculty members and the students of all departments joined in with the administrative uh, groups to further women's being women being uh, involved in all parts of the university, not just as secretaries but also as teachers as professors as researchers uh, the German department had in the in the faculty in the teaching part of uh, the department three women out of eighteen
0: so yeah. Would you consider huh? that good? Would you consider that as being good at the time?
1: No, no, no. Okay. No. The problem was, um, of course, to get women professors. Um, you needed to get in touch with, uh, or most most women who had become professors were already involved in certain uh, universities, and I think we hunted for two years for a female professor. Um, and there were, you know, such parties and uh, such uh, discussions and so on and so forth. And um, the problem was that this woman had a, a mental block and mental problem, so that all of us had to take up her courses and she couldn't teach. So it was not necessarily a, a model for. Getting women into the into the apartment uh, into the department, it was uh, unfortunately not very successful.
0: And can I ask, uh, how, from what you recollect, how did Cincinnati compare with Rice with, on this level?
1: Uh, I think most good universities, and I would consider Cincinnati at that time, was uh, one of one of the uh, 20% uh, universities who had made efforts to get women and to deal with several rights. We had one black uh, Germanist in the department. Um, But the colleges or the the, um, rural universities, of course, had a lot, more problems, and um, I remember when when I was later when I was in in England, the uh, question of women's rights became much stronger, and the departments, particularly the adjunct adjunct uh, colleges, the colleges that were tied to the university but were not part of them, the, the off campus uh, schools in Cincinnati, were there were three or four, um, they were later uh, directed by women. And after my doctor mother became uh, chair of the department, there were two more female chairs after I'd left. That was hard a hard fight. And I don't but, know what it is right now.
0: Okay, but a successful fight, would you say, at the time, at least marginally successful? It, it improved. The Anything
1: need. that improved was was a success. Uh, it wasn't that successful. Uh, when I was touring the country and uh, giving uh, help from via the Goethe Institute, I brought uh, speakers. To universities or to schools, uh, I remember whenever the talk became professional, when uh, when it when when it was Germanistics, when it was literature, when it was research, people wouldn't the, the male society would not look into my eyes when I said something. You know, I was I was a woman. I was. Uh, you didn't have to really take into account what I was saying. But this happened all over the world. I remember a German friend, a dear friend, who um, had uh, told me, oh, when I was in London, uh, your ex-husband said this and that and the other. And it was uh, critical and it, I had said it. He, he couldn't think of a woman having that kind of critical input into a conversation. And this, this was very true in, in America as well.
0: Was so your friend, your friend was quoting your husband when, no, he, really, was when he, was he was quoting you?
1: He was quoting me, uh, putting it into my husband's
0: mouth. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's fascinating. I mean, if even friends do it, then it tells you that that this was—it's you know the severest form of brainwashing, uh, essentially.
1: Right. He didn't realize it, and I think most of the professors didn't realize that they didn't look at the women when they were talking. They looked at the women as women. When they had turned around, but when they were supposed to look into their eyes, when they said something uh, uh, academic or, or with regard to the subject that they were working on, um, there was hardly any eye contact, which was strange, which was very strange.
0: I, you know, I, I. I... I can only empathise because this is something that I never experienced clearly. Um, but I, I can't imagine how I would react if this had happened to me on any single occasion. Um, and you, clearly, you're saying that this is something that was a regular occurrence, and not just for you, but for most women right. in these professional academic. So settings.
1: you didn't you didn't uh, react anymore. You were so tired of it. That you turned around and talked to the women.
0: Yeah, I would have exploded. I, I don't know how you had the patience to, to, to be able to That's lead such a, a slow and gentle revolution as you did.
1: That's the difference between the male and the female way of opposing something. Because we were not taught that we could be critical. We did not... Uh, experience that we were listened to Um, so basically you resign yourself to the fact to some degree that um, they won't look into your eyes they don't won't take you seriously in terms of your uh, special subject
0: Please don't forget where you are exactly in your in in your tale, because I but I want to ask you another question. So recently I I heard a a female uh, investor, uh, a very, very successful senior executive um, of uh, American. um, And she said a part of the success that she had um, included and involved when being um, successful and in companies as a senior executive. Essentially she was forced in many ways to act almost like a male. Yes. And it was this action which allowed her to be successful in her career. And she said herself, that is wrong. Yes. Um, yes. So I just wanted to thought on
1: that. But this is true in, in in uh all Western countries. I must um I did write a book with my ex-husband Uh, basically two books, one in English and one in German, on Berlin and researching that in West Berlin and in East Berlin. And only in East Berlin did the male experts discuss things with me, looking into my eyes, and I felt that I was being taken seriously. This was very, very strange, and it was very... Surprising that this, I, I, it happened over and over again. And I wasn't used to that from from the Western countries.
0: Fascinating. Of all places in East Berlin. Yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, I'm sure we'll touch upon this subject in, 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 in a the bit st- more. I'm yeah. sure, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry to have interrupted you. Please continue. No,
1: that's fine. That's what discussions and talks are about, Uh, (laughs) different sideways and alleys, and they bring us back into the main road anyway.
0: Mm. True, very true.
1: Um, I just wanted to say that we were really fighting to get students, to get new students, as I said before. And uh, we were like traveling salesmen going from from school, uh, elementary, uh, from high school to high school, trying to convince students to come into the German department by giving them, them a song and dance of uh, interpretation of short story or uh, a poem. And we had to do that for about two years and did it quite frequently. All, everybody in the faculty was uh, involved in that. So uh, the fight for students started to become very, very strong when before just before I left. And I left in uh, 77, 78, 77. Mm-hmm. So the beginning was the building up of the language departments and par- parallel to the NASA because of uh, and the superiori- superiority of uh, Russian uh, advances in science, and because they, they realized finally that if you don't speak the language, you can't out the opponents, and the Russians knew English and they could out uh, the rest, almost the rest of the world um that was uh, over in the toward the end of the 70s from the mid 70s on that boom was uh inf- inflated and kind of collapsed in within itself and the rest of the what i heard from my friends later was that our involvement of Wanting to get the best for the students and um, going all, all out, uh, not counting the hours that we spent, was at an end. That our successors looked at the clock or the watch and said, OK, my time's over. 40, 50 hours is more than enough. I, uh, I'm not being paid for it, so I won't do it. We were the generation of the boom, and we re- reacted by being very serious of uh, servicing that which we thought was important.
0: Uh, Above financial benefits, of
1: course. Yes. Yeah. There was not a penny more in any in any uh, pocket after having spent so many hours. In fact, with even with the instructorship, Uh, And almost 10 years of experience at an American university, I was paid less than a uh, first year uh, elementary school teacher in Germany. Wow. And America was more expensive.
0: And and isn't it strange that the the adverse um, sort of realities that, that can exist in that in those days, I think that the gap between the rich and poor was far closer than it is today. Yes. And this is this is around the time where people decided for themselves, if they're not going to pay me, I'm not going to work anymore. Um, yes. and, and so therefore, perhaps it's possible to say that attaching a purely financial benefit to work, maybe that increased the the uh, the development of this gap. Maybe not. Who could say? It's just pure conjecture. But
1: the gap you know, was a- larger. The gap was much larger in America than it was in Germany, for instance.
0: It probably still is i imagine um and yet still the, the gap exists um the gender pay gap still exists as well yes, of course. yes. Um, and that's probably the same in most places too so um yeah, there's still so much to be done yes but,
1: but it varies according to the history of in those countries sure like um england has a large gap between still has has a uh Society that goes in 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 layers. In um, it's not um, you you cannot move from one uh, layer of society to an upper one very easily. Yeah. You can do that in Germany, yes. You could do it in America occasionally, but it America didn't have a large middle class, and Britain didn't have a large middle class either. Germany was almost, after the war, was almost all middle class. Mm. So yeah. it was um, much less uh, friction there.
0: No. I mean, the middle classes in the UK, I believe, grew uh, under Thatcherism in the 80s and continue to grow into the 90s. Uh, I think it's only recently, uh, these last few years, that the, the, the size of the middle class has begun to shrink. Um, and it's only the last year or so that the life expectancy has for the first time gone down as well in uh, some Western countries. But again, that's a different argument as well. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So your uh, essentially you, your uh, activities to gather and attract students uh, above and beyond in your eighty to one hundred hour weeks that you used to put in, I, I can only imagine was quite successful. Uh, but that which um, became less successful after you left, as people well,
1: not started. because I le- didn't, I wasn't there anymore, but because mm. times were changing, changing. Sure. So I was lucky again. I was in the in the boom, not in the bust years, Um, and in in a way, I was uh, I was very happy working that hard because it was successful. You didn't have any pain in spending so many hours when you saw the smiling faces and the the contact and the uh, live um, society between uh, people in in academia. I I was doing something I like to do. And if you like something, you don't mind working very hard.
0: Yeah, you said something similar, I think, in our first session when we were talking about English. um, And you said that when you like something, you learn it very well and very quickly. Um, uh, Do you remember when we were talking? I asked you why your English was so good. Yeah. Um, it's, it, but it, what's also fascinating is that, you know, recently I've spoken with some of my uh, other students and, you know, I asked them, oh, how are you under this lockdown scenario? And they said, oh, yeah, not great, because yeah, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so when you say there that you were happy to put in those extra hours because the result, essentially, you could see it was in the smiles of the people you worked with. You know, that in itself was almost reward enough. Uh, for, for the extra effort that Absolutely. you Absolutely.
1: Yes. Plus, the most rewarding thing was that uh, we were all friends. We worked as friends. There was no competition between uh, professors and, and instructors or assistants or uh, between students. We were a group of friends who were working toward the same goal, and that was literature in that particular uh time and in a way that the love for literature stayed with me of course and the the the, uh, knowledge of what you have to do to research to find out to deal with people of course was uh, the the groundwork was laid there
0: Um, and and sometimes in itself reading the literature that you have um you learn so much about society and humanity. It's not simply about reading a damn good book, but there are also lessons Absolutely. to be learned within it.
1: Um, much of my history, uh, understanding of history, comes through literature, because we had very bad history teachers, and um, since I wasn't studying uh, literature in in Germany, I never had that much. Uh, interest in history until I came to the States, and all of that kind of came together with with the politicization, with the uh, understanding of history, while learning how to deal with literature, and in a way how to um, not write it because I wrote very little fictional things. I am more of a, an essayist or um, feuilletonist. Um, so I learned I, everything I did there, I learned for life.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can imagine, actually.
1: By 75, I finally was uh, presenting my dissertation, it was on Novalis and a subject which combined natural history, uh, natural science, and poetry. And um, again, literature, science, poetry uh, were three of the strings that I'd been interested in all my life. And once I finished, as I said, uh, I was not uh, employable by the University of Cincinnati anymore, except my doctor, mother, my supervisor, um, had gotten the okay for a job at the University of Cincinnati for a representative of the Goethe House, New York. Um, Goethe Goethe House uh, paid my salary. Um, The university gave me a room and a little money for pens and papers. And I then started working, uh, dealing with questions on Germany by schools and colleges, and um, starting evening classes for professional uh, people. Um, the course in gen- at General Electric was also under the, gu- under the umbrella of the Goethe Institute, or the, my goethe to institute position, or um, kind of guiding visitors from Germany through the universities and colleges. And another thing was, um, we sometimes had groups of uh, students or journalists come into the University of Cincinnati, and we were—I was in charge of finding ways of teaching them. Preparing for a trip to Germany, or a stay in Germany, and the most vivid memory I have is of a group of journalists who came, who came from every part of America, uh, from uh, Northern America, and uh, they went into Germany for a time to study and to work. So I organized and I taught myself quite a number of courses on. German literature on German life, on German social setups, on uh, legal system, economic system, and so on and so forth, and language to prepare them for that one year in Germany. And that, again, was fun. And these
0: are students of journalism. Sorry to interrupt. These are students of journalism.
1: Yes. Some of them had had uh, already worked as uh, journalist uh, journalists and had gone back to school but most of them were uh yeah uh, I would say they had their almost their master in masters in in journalism they were not 18 or 19 they were 25 mm-hmm. or or
0: older Okay. And and how would you describe Germany of the late 70s then? Um, Because in the UK, the late 70s was, uh, I think, economically and socially a very difficult time. There was the the, the winter of discontent. There was the three-day week. It was uh, the the Labour and Conservative governments had consecutively had problems with the trade unions. Um, Whereas in Germany, it was a bit better, wasn't it?
1: It was a bit better, and I could really... Uh, give them an overall picture. I didn't have to particularly uh, speak of here and now, but give them a background in what also of the time I still experienced in Germany. And, of course, I did a lot of research what had happened in Germany. I had my contacts in Germany um, that had continued. So it was an overall picture. It was not that much of a... um, of a picture of society then and there it was background it okay. was um an overall course
0: okay and and did you go with them on their year their year long trip to no. germany no? no okay
1: i had them at uh, cincinnati for about four weeks and as i said we uh, i'd gotten some uh, history teachers to teach Uh, something about German history, and I did the political and the the legal and everything I could provide. I I had to provide because, again, we didn't have the money to uh, pay anybody except uh, I was salaried, so I had to do it.
0: And and, and reflecting how much so you okay you said Goethe House, but it's essentially a part of the Goethe Institute, is that?
1: The Goethe Institute uh, has different Goethe houses, and in America you have Boston, you have uh, New York, you have a couple of on the on the West Coast. Um, The center of America was not really covered, so they were uh, eager to find somebody who had German and American experiences at universities, which I did. and Or at least that was the way my friend uh, convinced them to take me. Um, They wanted a representative of the Goethe House New York, so I was associated directly with the Goethe House New York, although I didn't have very much to do with them they came to supervise once in a while um at the university of cincinnati and once i left i had one uh friend who took over she stayed with that position for about two or three years but that was the time when not just the the american students but the germans as well said no we we won't do an extra hour if you if we are not paid, and my workload during the first year and a half that I was a representative of the Goethe House New York stay, had stayed the same as before eighty to hundred hours. If, if you set something up, and if you have to make contacts with the rest of the world, so to speak, you can't say I'm sorry. I'm it's it's six o'clock and I'm going home. So I was just as involved in that set up and and that build up as I'd been before. But um, apparently, my successor uh, thought otherwise, and she wanted every hour that she spent extra paid for. So in the end, they took this position away from the University of Cincinnati and started a um, small goethe institute in the city of Cincinnati with two um, people who came from Germany which was of course much more uh, expensive than what had been there before but um, it didn't last very long after another couple of years it folded so uh, I was very sad because it was needed in that particular part of the country and I'm speaking of of Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, and so on and so forth.
0: But I mean, the Goethe Institute obviously still exists. It's it's um, of course it's yes. A, it's a highly reputable international organisation uh, that yes, brings Germ- German culture to the world. Um, and it's it's not political, is it? From my from my understanding, it, it doesn't really engage in any open uh, political um, sort of policy other than spreading German culture. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yes and no. Um, There is a subtle way of support for um, people who are in trouble in the countries that the Goethe Institutes exist. Um, If I later needed some information about uh, a country Uh, where we had writers under duress or or in prison or under threat of death. Um, Of course, I contacted the Foreign Department and I did contact uh, the Goethe Institutes if they were there. Okay.
0: To get information. Okay. uh, But did they provide you, would you say, with a slightly less biased, less politically nuanced report than perhaps the Foreign Ministry would have had?
1: Uh, The I was surprised the foreign ministry didn't give me a, a necessarily a very political report. Um, they got me, and there were some that were uh, very interested in what, what we were doing in Penn. And they contacted me if there was a new development, for instance, in Turkey or whatever. This was in the uh, 80s. Yes, it was in the 80s um whereas uh the people in the foreign office uh were cagey at times i remember i talked to um the legal advisor to the turkish department of the of the foreign office and it was a matter of uh uh calling the uh we are here in uh you will be i uh, happy to know that it was about the Armenian uh, massacre in 1915 uh, and uh, afterwards. And uh, I was asking why this was not considered genocide according to, the, to German law, because the French had called it genocide by then. And uh, they were cagey. They, uh, they said we cannot uh, say that it was. It is not the official, uh, the official language of the government, of the parliament, and so we are we are not uh, allowed to use the word.
0: No. something which changed obviously under Mrs. Merkel's government um, just a few years ago, of course. Yes. But, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: So, you know, um, human rights work is is waiting until the right people make the right decisions. And this is also true for many of the things where we could help uh, somebody to get out of prison or stay out of prison. It was also it was first of all a matter of not just one association or one good uh, 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 pen Writers and Prison committees, but, Committee, but it was a matter of everybody pulling together the Human Rights Watch, uh, Amnesty, PEN, um, the, the political end. if the pressure became very big, then we had the chance of success. Uh, best success had when it was politically convenient for the uh, perpetrator government, as we called them. Um, to, if if they wanted to be on the good side of the people outside, if they wanted something from them, then they might uh, release somebody or let them emigrate to Germany or whatever, or, or to France or wherever uh, a pen uh, position was open.
0: Okay, I mean, we've already slightly jumped into where we want to go in uh, future sessions, so yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess that's inevitable because we do, we are building up to those years, of course, uh, and there's so much to be said uh, for the work that you did uh, with Penn and these uh, other organizations that you mentioned. Um, uh, The
1: fact that I mentioned it serves also one purpose to see, although I've in my life changed so much over and over and over again. There are certain s- strings from which which uh, accompanied me from beginning to the end, which culminated, of course, in the uh, in the last years when I was back in Germany and could bank on everything that I'd ever done, and for that I'm extremely grateful.
0: So if um okay if we would this be then so you got to 1975 and this is where you you began work with the Goethe Institute and you, you, you uh, conducted 70, the
1: work. 70 Sorry. I we, we got in through 77.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh in 77 um I'm through the Goethe Institute I met my husband whom I married in England. Unfortunately, um, so we are basically at the end of uh, six, 77.
0: Okay, so well, we can I, I jump
1: into England next time.
0: Yes, absolutely. This is exactly what I wanted to say because that's a a very, very good place uh, to to put an end to the session because I'd like to focus quite a bit, if possible, on the UK, maybe because I'm more familiar with it than Cincinnati, Um, though um, that doesn't make uh, one particularly more interesting than the other, Um, but both equally. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to be able to begin the next show or session uh, with your initial experiences um, in the UK. And then that will lead us yeah, inexorably towards Penn, uh, which is obviously a very, very big destination that looms large on the horizon. Um, I, I, I also wanted to ask about some of the other uh, elements that I spoke to you about before. So the, the the assassinations in the USA that took place in in the 1960s. But again, you, uh, you instructed me that Because of the topics that we will also communicate with regards to through PEN, so for example Heran Dink, um, uh, that this topic of assassination, of political assassination, uh, will come up naturally anyway, Uh, and so perhaps we can leave those uh, points as well uh, for when we talk about PEN. Yes, uh,
1: I think that's the easiest way of doing it, because... um, had I not been in America at the time when these assassinations had happened, I wasn't there when when uh, John F. Kennedy was uh, murdered. I was still in Germany, but all the others I participated in on over television in America, which, of course, is very important in America. Um, but we can come back to that when I talk to the people who were assassinated and how I understood what was involved in these assassinations, once I had to deal with it uh, from the pen side. Sure.
0: Okay. All right, then, uh, Karin, thank you very much again. Uh, A a fascinating session, which, uh, you know, ends almost as soon as it began. Essentially, this is another hour, which has just uh, flown by. Um, And yeah, what can I say? Uh, thank you very much again for taking the time to, to, to talk to me.
1: You're very welcome.